With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I, I just can't. I, ju- I just can't. <laughs> I'm getting dumber by the day. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Let's Get Weird Sports Podcast. Yes, we are still under quarantine, stuck in our houses. Even Otis is like, bitch, let me out of here. Let me go outside and roam. (laughs) As as you can tell, we're getting a little stir-crazy. My co-host with me, Paul Banks, is in Chicago with his cats and has been locked in for about three weeks now. I have been home with my wife and son, and we have played a lot of cornhole in the backyard, a lot, watched a lot of TV, and done, logged a lot of hours at home with the boy on the tablet and us working. So we need something. We need a release of some sort, and that's why we're here to get weird tonight, aren't we? Absolutely. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen those people who walk their cats with harnesses and leashes and stuff, and... Um, I have been debating about getting Otis, um, one of those, and I think when this is all over, I might, I I don't know how he's going to take to it, but I mean, as you can see, he's itching to get out, so maybe I'll do that, and, you know, that's what this is all about, discovering new hobbies and new ideas and other things you want to do to pass the time. I mean, has it really been, it's been, what, three weeks, four weeks since all this really blew up? I I felt like March was a hundred and... 70 days long but april is almost you know by the time this is up and posted will be maybe a third of the way through april already think about that it's flying Uh, by ah man well i we lost our usual spring break trip to miami and in that we had tickets to a marlins game while we were there we had tickets to a Rays game because we were going to go over to tampa and knock off that ballpark we hadn't been to it yet we were going to go to a Florida Panthers hockey game while we were there and uh, a Miami Hurricanes baseball game at Florida International University. <laughs> and the reason behind that is, is we normally go down for a spring baseball series at the University of Miami since my wife is a former Batgirl for them. They happened this year on my son's spring break. They did not have a home series. So we were going to be down there. We were going to see lots of baseball anyway. We were probably going to go to more than one Marlins game. And then when we came home, the day after we got back, Miami was supposed to play an ACC series at Notre Dame. So we were going to drive up to South Bend and see all three games of that. We lost that. We had some Pacer tickets that we've lost. And we've already lost more Major League games that we were going to go to here in August. Or August. Look at us. I wish it was August already. (laughs) But we're going to go here in April to Cincinnati, and my goodness, I mean, just, there's no end in sight here, it seems, and it's it's a rough time right now. Yeah, it's amazing how the new normal 
devolved into another new normal, into another new normal. And, and I don't want to say, oh, it's a rough time. I'm missing baseball because obviously there are some much more serious issues going on right now with several thousand deaths nationwide. You know, this is just raging and you have different states are having more problems containing it than others. And we and I think the scariest thing is, yeah, we're lowering the curve in many of these states and whatnot. And some of these projections are kind of promising, but lowering the curve means very little if you take off all the restrictions and it just flares back up because everyone goes out and loses their minds. Yeah, that's a very good point. Like, what is, um, what's going to be the after effect of this when the bars open and the young people can congregate again? And, you know, I've also been telling people for a while that if you're bored, you're, it, it's like if you're in the hospital. If you're in the hospital and you have a boring day, that's great. That's wonderful. That's a hell of a day. That's awesome. And I would say the same thing about this. If you have the luxury of being bored, then you're doing well because there's a lot of people who don't have time or energy to ever be bored because they've got, you know, major stuff on their minds. Exactly, exactly. So one of the things we did decide to talk about here and the main topic of this is related to kind of what we're seeing at the moment. Earlier today, Major League Baseball did announce that they are going to potentially attempt to start the season here in May. Uh, There are a lot, a lot of uh, qualifiers to them starting the season. But one of them is the potential to play as early as sometime in May in the Phoenix area, utilizing Bank One Ballpark, or excuse me, Chase Field, not Bank One Ballpark anymore, and uh, several of the Major League Spring training facilities around the city and playing in empty stadiums, which there's a lot of hurdles that they have to cross there and a lot of what-ifs and how it's going to be handled. But here's the thing. It is... Something that has been done before. We've seen it in European soccer all the time with empty stadiums, usually for uh, racist activities for for clubs or countries. (laughs) Uh, I know I sent you within our little chat that we have regarding the blog here, or the blog, the podcast here, a UEFA Champions League match a few years ago that was played behind closed doors in Russia and a bunch of Bayern München fans managed to rent out the top floor of a skyscraper next to the stadium to peer in as the ultimate Wrigleyville rooftops. (laughs) And busted Schweinsteiger's brother joined them. Well, yes, of course. Uh, But in terms of in this country, it has happened before that we have had Major League Baseball played in empty stadiums. It happened... In the spring of 2015 in Baltimore, when the White Sox played the Orioles in a couple of games at Oriole Park at Camden Yards because of civil unrest outside of the stadium. Now, we're not going to devolve into the politics of what went down there or try to uh, really dig deep into the reasons behind that civil unrest. We'll just say it happened. And uh, it sucked. And uh, that's about all we're going to say, lest 
we anger well everyone <laughs> but uh i know paul you know a little bit more about uh what happened with these white Sox, the white Sox orioles games and kind of uh the atmosphere around them too right this was um my first ever piece for sports illustrated uh is on this game and is on this topic so i did a fair amount of research before writing that article which just went live this past weekend and I did that, um, I did a lot of research during the week. And I had no idea that it would be so timely with the uh, story that broke today. I mean, obviously, that's a plan that needs to be fleshed out a lot. And maybe when they really start to get into the granular aspects of it, they may have to wait till June to pull it off if they can. But it's just so timely because of what happened that day. The... The protests began on the 18th of April, and by the 25th, the city had just gone full-on riot. The first two games of the series, which would have been the 27th and 28th, were just scrapped and rescheduled for a doubleheader later in the season, and they were able to do that off pretty easily. Now, when it came to that third game of the White Sox at Orioles, there was one very good option but unfortunately there was a a basically a cold war between the Washington Nationals and the Baltimore Orioles at the time as they were in litigation with each other over Mid-Atlantic Sports Network that's the network that they owned together and it broadcasted they, they broadcasted their game so with legal battles going on the Orioles never made an overture to the Nats who were on the road at the time, so their stadium was open, and the Nats never made an overture to them. A lot of people would say, well, then, why even why even play it then? Give, what else could you do? I mean, I know the Orioles finished 81-81 and 81 that year. I think the White Sox, they were pretty bad. I think they were under 500. But in April, you don't really know what games are going to be meaningful or not. So the show went on, and like now, we're dealing with a public safety crisis, except our public safety crisis relates to everywhere versus this was just one city in one game. But the common thread is you don't have first responders, security, medical, etc. You can't be... Baltimore needed them for what was going on in the city at the time. And we need... Now we need these people in the front lines of a... We, we can't have them at sporting events. So... That was kind of the deciding factor that they said this this ball game will be played with no fans or as it's known colloquially behind closed doors. Uh, I know that there has been also other precedent in this country and the case of this being moved in Baltimore or not so much moved but played behind closed doors, it reminded me a lot of the 2012 or the not 2012 the 1992 NBA playoffs which didn't necessarily have them behind closed doors uh, you had several first round games removed out of Los Angeles because of the LA riots the first round series between the Lakers and the Blazers game 4 was supposed to be in Los Angeles and they actually had to move it to the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas due to the riots. And the other 
probably more rare thing was the Los Angeles Clippers actually made the playoffs this season. <laughs> and game four of their series with the Utah Jazz had to be played in the Anaheim Convention Center, which kind of surprises me, but I think that was actually before even the Mighty Ducks Arena was built. So, you know, that's the playoffs, and that's the playoffs, and they had to be moved and everything. But you have a case of... This this event in Baltimore is also not the first time that civil unrest became an issue in sports either. Right. I I, I vividly remember those NBA playoffs. Did, what happened with the baseball teams, or were they both away at the time? Um, I'm not sure. I think they were both away at the time. Um, I don't know if there were any games that were moved, and Anaheim being as far as it is from Los Angeles, it could have been just that the Dodgers might have been on the road. You know, we've we've seen other events that have been moved. I know that the Marlins have had to play a series in Comiskey Park. Yes, it's Comiskey Park. USA yeah, it is Comiskey hell Park. It is. Guaranteed rate, whatever. <laughs> but they've had to play a series there in Comiskey. You had the Cubs had to play the Astros in Milwaukee during the middle of a pennant race, which was real fair, I'm sure, for the Astros. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that that's what hurricanes do, right? Right. And, and I know that was when Carlos Zambrano famously f- threw the first Cubs no-hitter in like 40 years, too. It's Kitty Holtzman in the <laughs> 70s, yeah. And it happens at their home away from home in, Wrigley, in Wrigleyville North. Yes. So let's talk about the game here in Baltimore and just kind of how it went down. And it was just one game, wasn't it? Or did they play end up playing multiple ones? It was just one game. The other two games in the series were rescheduled, and it was weird. Like, there are quotes of the Baltimore Sun and the Chicago Tribune, which the players say it was weird. And that's why it's perfect for Let's Get Weird. And I can't think of a weirder and get ready, people, because this could be what's coming when you're watching on TV. You could hear the outfielders' calls. Or you could hear just the any kind of frustration you might have or grimacing or grunts or whatever from any part of the stadium. The players could hear the radio and TV guys calling it. The broadcasting teams could hear each other. And the official attendance was zero, but you had three scouts sitting behind home plate. You had team staff in the concourse just collecting foul balls here and there. You had some photographers scattered. They would go in throughout the seats. And then uh, I know you you just went to Camden Yard last summer, so Mm -hmm. Utah Street, where the gates are, and you can't really see much there, but you had had a few people doing that. The estimate was 92 reporters were credentialed in the press box, and – at least 92 assigned seats. I don't know the full number of who showed up, but that is typically triple what you get for a normal, uh, regular, random, regular season game like that. And that that's impressive that you have that. And that, that does remind me of a few weeks ago when this all went down, just how you would be playing in front of press. And I remember seeing... It obviously didn't happen, but when Michigan and Rutgers came out to start the Big Ten tournament on that Thursday, and it looked like we were actually going to play until 18 minutes before tip-off, 
it was very bizarre to have, I would say, roughly 100 people in the arena, including security, press, just the support staff for the two teams and everything else. And it was it was an eerie, eerie feeling and very different because I've been I've been in the field house before when it's been empty um, a few years ago when uh, Juwan Johnson and Etwan Moore were drafted by the Celtics and they came through uh, to play the Pacers the first time we actually sold a bunch of tickets through the blog. And as a result, the next time that they came through, they offered us what was called the uh, Pacers Court of Dreams, where we got to, you know, I was able to put out a call. like, yeah, anybody in the area you want to come play on this? We got two hours to play on the actual floor in the arena. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And, you know, I've got pictures of it. We played pickup basketball for two hours, and it was a lot of fun, but we were still playing in an empty arena and it was just, it's weird to hear that, that echo, the bounce, the, you know, you hear every squeak of the sneakers and every call. And, you know, after a while, as you're playing, you kind of tune it out and it just becomes regular basketball. But I can't imagine just sitting there and watching it because there were, I mean, between everybody that showed up to play, there might've been 25 of us there at most. Uh, but you know, here we are, we're playing in an empty NBA arena and that's the closest thing that I can attest to it as, as a player. I can't imagine it, uh, just being there working it or anything else. Yeah. It's strange even watching like John Oliver when he does a show on a white screen and his jokes that he doesn't have the studio audience or just any show that's based on a laugh track or whatever. And it's not there. This is Chris Davis, the Orioles' first baseman. This was a quote he gave to the Baltimore Sun one year after the game retrospective. It was such a weird situation because there was so much going on around the city, and I think so much pain and suffering that could be helped by just turning on the TV. It was a hard time for the city and I think as players. I thought we really hoped we could be a distraction at that point. still tough to think about it all now. And then here's a quote from Robin Ventura in the Chicago Tribune, the Sox manager at the time. I don't think we really want to play another one like this. I don't think the Orioles do either. And, obvi- you know, the obvious joke here is, well, these guys clearly never played for the Marlins. Or you could say the White Sox, they've been doing social distancing at their ballpark forever. Or, or Tampa. And I, I'm, I'm just thinking of it here because I looked up the Marlins' attendance for the last two seasons. 2018, they averaged 10,014 10, fans per game, which, um, yeah, that's bad. It actually improved last year to 10,016 fans a game. <laughs> so more Yankees fans were in town. Well, uh my wife and I and son were down there, and we I, I, we got to go to two Marlins games. We went on opening day, and we went the next day because we didn't have anything better to do. So we counted six. Uh, last year, we counted as six of their 811,302 fans. <laughs> ah, the, I, there's an article in relation here from August of last year. Uh, Monday, ni- uh, Monday night in August set a new low. They had an announced crowd of 5,297 as they lost to the Reds, making it the Ouch. least attended game of the season. And that was, it, it gathered nearly 500 less than the previous mark for Tampa's home game against the Jays, Blue Jays in May. 
By comparison, a special game at the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, the Cubs and Pirates played in front of 2,500 fans on August 18th. It says here that Miami's low-A affiliate, the Clinton Lumber Kings, drew 4,963 fans for Monday's game against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. It was well, the- I, yeah. I would say to the Miami Marlins that I know the Clinton Lumber Kings. I have served with the Clinton Lumber Kings. <laughs> and you, sir, are no Clinton Lumber Kings. It says here that it was the third time that Miami has drawn less than 6,000 fans last season, with the previous low being 5,934 against the Mets on April 2nd. April 2nd, which that is, I mean, shoot, the Marlins are still in the playoff hunt on April 2nd. (laughs) That's like the best time to be in Miami. But my wife is flipping me off right now because she's one of the actual factual Marlins fans. She was at their first game in Marlins history. But to give you an idea of the April 2nd, I'm looking at my MLB app from last season. I attended two games at Marlins Park on March 28th and March 29th. And if I recall correctly, I think we may have been in Miami and potentially could have gone to that April 2nd game. How do they get a new stadium again? Why do they deserve a new stadium? The thing with it is this, is when the Marlins are good, which is rare, but when they are good, they actually draw fairly well. And Major League Baseball wants Miami as a market. The stadium is in a good spot. They built it where the old Orange Bowl was. It's a really nice stadium. I've been there several times now. The oddest thing, though, is... Nobody goes. I've I've been there seven or eight times now. They have never had a single person in the upper deck, and they don't even sell tickets to the upper deck for most games. <sighs> Oakland's like that. Yeah, I mean, and I've been to Oakland Stadium. Oakland's nice. I mean, for what it is, it's not the horrible shit that it's made out to be. But uh, you know, no, Marlins Park. Marlins Park has been, I mean, it's a good ballpark, but the last two years, by 2017, they still averaged 20,000. Now, again, this is announced attendance, which you can goose those numbers any possible way. But as recently as 2017, they still averaged 20,000 a game. It just dropped precipitously the last two seasons to barely above 10,000. And again, that's announced attendance. If you're averaging 10,000, you've got some games that are going to raise that up. Like when the Cubs come through or a lot of like the Mets are a good draw because they have a lot of a lot of transplants from New York. It's just interesting to see how you'll have some of those games where you'll barely get 5,000 people in the stands. And that seems cavernous. In a way, I guess that you could say Major League Baseball is somewhat prepared for this. But I don't know. I mean, what do you do? Do you still have, like, the mid-inning promotions? Do you still have, like, the walk-up music and everything else? I'm glad you said that. You read my mind. That was going to be my next transition. Uh, Getting back to Baltimore, they played Take Me Out to the Ball Game in the seventh inning, but obviously there was no one stretching to go anywhere. They played walk-up music. They Some dude on Baltimore cracked a three-run homer in the first inning, and they did the whole, you know, celebration stuff. The Jumbotron, the sound system, it was like a, a normal game. But I don't know how much atmosphere can you really recreate with that. 
And in the end, the Orioles went went on to win eight to two. But the last thing anyone remembers about this was the score. Right. We just know what happened. In uh, an interesting thing here, I found from fishstripes.com, which is the SB Nation site for the Marlins, the 2018 and 2019 Marlins are the fourth and fifth worst average attendances in Major League history since 1990. The first, second, and third belong to the beloved Montreal Expos at L'Estade Olympique. Ah, see, see. yes. We oui, oui. the, the 2003 Expos, who finished 83 and 79, and if I, I if I recall correctly, I believe the 2003 Expos were involved in the playoff race deep into September. They still averaged a major league all-time worst 7,935 fans, despite going 83 and 79. That's just unbelievable. Despite uh, that, their awesome uniforms and logo and color scheme now i that may have been one of the seasons where they had where they played some of their games down in puerto rico yeah they were they were in the race they finished eight games out of a playoff spot behind the eventual world champion florida marlins that's right you know when the marlins are good they're good oh yeah they here's a bit of trivia for you among the Major league, among the four major league franchises or major sports leagues in North America, they are the only franchise that has never lost a playoff series or, in the case of the NFL, a playoff game. Wow. They've been to the playoffs twice and they won the World Series both times. And the year they won the World Series in 2003, they still only averaged 16,000 fans a game. The Kane County Cougars, who are a low A affiliate. I'm not sure who they're affiliated with now, but they're out in Geneva, Illinois, pretty close to Fermi Lab. They they in the summer when it's good, like they'll draw fourteen thousand regularly. I know here in Indy, the Indianapolis Indians, which is the AAA franchise of the Pirates, they get about I'd say they get ten to twelve thousand a game. They they always do extremely well, uh, and they're, those are a lot of fun to go to. You can go for like 10 bucks, and it's great. Yeah, I mean, that's what's great about going to White Sox games is that if you buy a ticket for anywhere downstairs, you can sit wherever you want, and if you buy a ticket for a higher level, maybe they won't be checking later in the game, or maybe you could find sites where you can sneak downstairs. I mean, it, it's nice to be able to spread out like that. And then here you have the. Two, I'm looking more at the 2003 Expos. They uh, that year they did play a. They played 22 of their games at Hiram Estadio Hiram Bithorn in Puerto Rico. The rest at L'Estadio Olympique, <laughs> which I love saying L'Estadio Olympique. It was also the. I think it was the second year that they were in the playoff hunt because they finished 83 and. 79 the year before and they actually finished second in the al east or in the nl east it's um it's quite a stadium too if you've ever been there have you been there no i've not uh but i've i've heard i've heard how bad it can be at times but well there's all these there's like strip malls connected to it where there's like a chiropractor office and there's all these like doctor or service things in like a, on the lower concourse outside. And there's a lot of just 
cracked sidewalks and a lot of kids just skateboard by it. And then there's that giant curved tower thing up at the top with the elevator that supposedly never worked. <laughs> and the local, I, or I think it worked once or whatever, is for its retractable dome that took forever to work. And they had and it still never worked correctly, if I believe. It's basically the the Springfield monorail episode where uh, that guy goes to Shelbyville or North Haverbrook, Ogdenville, whatever. He's like, this is all that remains of one of the crappiest trains ever built. <laughs> You just see, like, the ruins. That's exactly how it feels to go to Olympic Stadium. I went in 2011. And here's the craziest thing about Olympic Stadium. The Expos left Montreal 15 years ago. Olympic Stadium still exists. <laughs> yeah, because they call it the Big O. That was the nickname because when they when they created it for the Olympics, they knew they would owe so much money on it. I believe... We gotta look this up, but I'm pretty sure 2017 or 2018, it final the debt was finally paid off, and it cost a billion and a half dollars, which is up there with Jerry World, <laughs> not nearly as nice. Yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah, it, it is a total hole. Oh, here, but- here's you go. You'll like the you'll like this regarding the roof. A slab of concrete measuring 8 by 12 meters, because we are in Canada, mm-hmm. fell from the roof. Since we're in Canada, it would be metres. <laughs> fell metres. from the roof of the stadium's underground parking facility. On March 4, 2012, there were no injuries. The roof continues to deteriorate with 7,453 tears as of May of 2017, limiting the use of the venue in winter to when there are three or four centimeters of snow on the roof. They are on the second roof. They've never been able to get it to open correctly, and it's still a <laughs> roof that's tearing and could collapse under the weight of even a modicum of snow. <laughs> I think they have um what does it say that <laughs> I know it's it's just it's the classic example of Olympic graft of just extorting money to host the Olympics and you know building these white elephant holes <laughs> that maybe it can't handle three centimetres of snow. That, that's a little over an inch. Oh my god, that's just Montreal. <laughs> Do they have an idea where they were building it? I don't know if it says on on there what they do. From what I remember, they were having like craft shows, rodeos. Um, I think they still have like monster truck rallies. Um, every once in a while, the Montreal Impact of MLS will play like playoff games there. Let's not forget the Alouettes. Man, the Alouettes, yes. <laughs> Uh, the the Blue Jays still play. They have started playing exhibition games there at the end of spring training. So I guess if you're playing in empty stadiums in Arizona, the sun will be shining and it'll be outdoors. And it's not like you're playing in an empty stadium in Montreal. So it could be worse. Right. I mean, I, I from what I've read, all these other contingency plans thrown out there. Uh, Puerto Rico. What is the name of the stadium? Le Estadio, er, La Estadio Hiram Bithorn. Or El Estadio Hiram Bithorn. There's this there's this belief that you could have a warm it would just be like the Super Bowl, warm weather, neutral site stadium, because you start the season so late, 
and then you're playing the. I mean, it always sometimes it goes in November already. So you're playing the World Series in December. So you would have like a dome. So Montreal could be because it's a dome that's been tossed around. Um, this one total dipshit um, local sports talk radio guy threw out this thing that he had sources. It was going to be a Dodger Stadium would host the World Series. I guess that turned out to be fake news with the Arizona plan, but. Miami, as we mentioned, would be good. Um, San Juan has been like you could you could do that for the playoffs. Now, the thing about Arizona is holy shit, those August and July games. Yes, but at least it's played outside on grass as opposed to the abomination of baseball on turf. There are two things that shouldn't be involved in baseball. Baseball should never be played on turf, and the designated hitter should be banned. Because if we had the designated hitter in the National League, we never would have had the beauty and the majesty of Bartolo Colon's home run. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Jack Clark's next of kin and all the generations, like that family owes their wealth to the fact that there was a designated hitter so Jack Clark could extend his career. Well, I'm just, if you're going to have the designated hitter, either have it in both leagues or don't have it at all. None of this in one league, have it in one league and not the other. That would be like if you had the NBA and the Western Conference played without three-pointers. Yeah, I agree with you on that, yeah. it. I'm with you on the thing is, like, we're old enough that we always knew a world with a designated hitter, so I've never, I really admire your purism, your, your puristness, Travis, because you well, are also, very much against whole- it. Well, there's also the whole, oh, a pitcher, he can throw at other guys with impunity, and if he doesn't have to bat, he doesn't have to worry about facing any repercussions. It's always some other asshole on his team that's got to be plunked by the opposing pitcher. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great point, too. Dynamite drop-in, yes. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm militant about no AstroTurf as well. Oh, yeah. AstroTurf is an abomination. That's why the Rays shouldn't have a team. If you can't build an outdoor stadium by now, you lose your team. Fine. So getting back, yeah, I mean, it's only where Yankees fans go to, like, see a game outside of New York anyway. (laughs) Those are the people that actually care about baseball in Tampa are Yankees fans. Wow. Now now I did lose my train of thought on this. Uh, we're, We're far afield from the original topic of the empty stadium game in Baltimore. No, 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 I know. No, what I was thinking about was Arizona. Okay, so... I know maybe what, like two thirds, maybe three quarters of major league teams train there and then the others train in Florida. So how many venues are in? I mean, you've got and then I imagine maybe you could use the Cardinals. You could use whatever that thing's called today in Glendale. But how many venues do you have in that area? I think there's at least I think they said there's at least 10. Um, And there's a couple that end up sharing their spring their spring training facilities out there because you know many of these teams have built up these facilities that are so you know they're so nice they're solid minor league parts in their own right and i think the arizona like the arizona fall league and the rookie league ends up playing much of their regular seasons out there yeah the uh, white Sox share uh, Camelback Ranch. It's an amazing facility. The Brewers in Maryville, I think they share as well. Uh, the Do- the Dodgers and the Dodgers out of Dom- Dodger Town. You talk about abominations before Almighty God. That that's my third part of the unholy trinity of baseball suckiness. The designated hitter, artificial turf, and the Dodgers leaving Dodger Town. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm... <laughs> Again, I, I love your purism for an era that's that was well before us. I, I think that's wonderful. You um, you could be in like a Billy Crystal documentary or something. <laughs> well, I'm an over 40 white guy now. I think this all got delivered on my birthday last year. <laughs> Uh, that's, Our producer that's... Juan just t- chimed in, and he's like, "You can't hear me, but don't encourage him, Paul." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, the name itself, the Trolley Dodgers. There are no trolleys in Chavez Ravine. Right, exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, okay. So I'm looking here. There are ten stadiums in the Cactus League. With um, a couple of them being shared, so it's, they're used to being split, and you could have like day-night double headers, possibly. Like you said, the White Sox and Dodgers share Camelback Ranch. The Reds and Indians share Goodyear Ballpark. The Padres and Mariners share the Peoria Sports Complex. Uh, the Diamondbacks and Rockies share Salt River Fields at Talking Stick, and the Royals and Rangers share Surprise Stadium. Awesome talking stick. I I love the names. That's going to be fun. Yeah. And then uh, you potentially could also get Arizona State's collegiate facility involved, too, I would think, because Arizona State has one of the top collegiate programs in the country. And, well, they've got to have a field that would probably be used, would be just fine to use if needed. You could play virtual games at the University of Phoenix online. (laughs) Hey! Let's not forget Grand Canyon University, where if we're talking about for-profit colleges, Grand Canyon University Division One program fired a local legend, Dan Marley, and didn't they hire Rick Pitino? Or was that no? That was Iona. No, I, Iona hired Pitino. They hired uh, Bryce Drew, actually. Oh yes, talk about a local legend, Indiana legend, Bryce Drew. But it's gonna be okay. So on a given, you only need. 14 in use in a single day, right? I mean, at most, yeah. And you could probably use them twice, like have a 1 o'clock and a 7 o'clock. I mean, it's not like you got to clear out the fans. Yeah, I, I mean, after it's not the size. It's how you use it here. <laughs> I know I shouldn't encourage you. <laughs> hey <Hey-o. laughs> But no, like with no fans, you can turn it over for another game, another team really easily. Yeah, and obviously size, the capacity doesn't matter because there's no fans. I mean, that's that's the most intelligent plan so far. Right. I mean, if if it happens, it happens. I mean, at this point, I would watch it just because I want to watch baseball and get my mind off some, some of this business, and it would be encouraging, but... Who knows if it's going to happen? It sounds like they have several just potential legal hurdles that they would have to get over because, okay, what if one player comes down with this and it just rips through the major and the major league players or something? Right. Cause you know, co- collisions at home plate, um, patting a guy on a butt when he reaches first base, uh, the handshake line, and then go beyond that, okay, maybe these are strapping young lads that aren't high-risk individuals, but what about the managers and the front office and everyone else they come in contact with who are of a certain age? 
I think if we had to play baseball without butt touching, the living the living would envy the dead. Honestly, <laughs> we would then be yes, it would be beyond Thunderdome in that post-apocalyptic state. <laughs> we haven't even talked about crotch grabbing yet, Juan. <laughs> Okay, so I think we're going to wrap this up uh, at Juan's request, uh, mostly because uh, we don't want to torture him anymore. Well, Juan's not wrong. I, I think we, um, I think we were entering like fourteen minutes and thirty seconds for this point anyway. Yeah, but uh, we we do have a topic that we were originally going to discuss tonight before the the announcement of potential empty stadium baseball kind of changed our plans. And obviously we didn't even touch on empty stadium NBA games for the playoffs or empty arena NHL or anything like that. But we're sort of going to be baseball adjacent for our next topic. We're going to talk about the infamous Wrigley field one way ticket game between Northwestern and Illinois a few seasons ago. Absolutely amazing that, this somehow in all the logistics and all the planning, it wasn't until the Monday presser, the weekly presser going in where it's like a reporter is like, hey, have you been out there? Look, look at this. My foot at the end zone with two feet. I'm up at the wall. It's like <laughs> Seems like a poor decision to have this. And well, they don't they haven't learned from their poor decisions because I believe Northwestern is scheduled to play another game at Wrigley Field either this season or next season. Well, with the new everything that's been done and all the renovations, supposedly it's safe, so. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's good to know and because I remember Purdue was a potential opponent when they announced it under the oh, okay. Well, we we played Northwestern every year being in the West Division, maybe we could go to that game and I think I think it would be pretty cool to see Purdue play at Wrigley Field. I mean, I'll go to Wrigley for anything. So, Well, the 2010 Wrigleyville Classic, as it was dubbed, between Illinois and Northwestern, the field went east-west. And I believe for the game this fall, if we do a football against Wisconsin, is going to go north-south, which is what it was for the Bears for 40 years when, when the Bears played in Wrigley. So I don't know why they decided to flip it like that. <laughs> Uh, okay, it appears it is not this season. It will be 2022, 24, and 26. Oh, no, it is this year, too. So, 2022, 24, and 26, with this year being November 7th against Wisconsin. Have they announced the opponents for the other ones yet? Uh, not yet. Which, crap, that would suck, because Purdue plays Northwestern at Purdue in even years. Damn it! Wah, wah. <laughs> So we'll, we'll go into a little more depth for that one the next time we have a Let's Get Weird Sports podcast. But in the meantime, we do thank you for listening. We hope that we've made your quarantine arenas. Yeah, I guess it should be Heidly Hi Diddly Ho, Bye Diddly I, Quarantine Arenas. We, hope, we, we hope don't have shelterinis. <laughs> we hope that we've made your experience at least slightly more enjoyable. We want you to stay safe out there. Make sure that you're practicing your social distancing, and it may not be yourself that you're taking care of, but you might be taking care of others out there just by staying safe and staying in. Read a good book, listen to us, we got a back catalog of podcasts, and as always, thank you for listening.